Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Ah, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I want to tackle this topic as we're moving into five days of prayer and a day of fasting. I don't think in living memory since I've been here at Sterling have I ever heard a preach on fasting. And if you don't know what that is, welcome. You come to the right service. If you've never done it before, oh, this is a great opportunity. And for those of you who have maybe tried it but have left it for a long period of time, I want to encourage you to lay hold of what God is saying. We've been talking about hunger. We're talking about wanting more of God this year. And fasting is a physical expression of a need for God. And so I am very confident that this morning this word is in line with what the Spirit is doing in our church. And I just want to answer five simple things today. Is why should we consider fasting? And I'll explain what fasting is in just a moment. What is fasting and when should we do it? How not to fast? How we should fast? And then fifthly, I hope you picked it up this morning for anybody interested in God here today. That there is a promise of reward. And when Jesus says that he never lies, I hope that you're interested in what that reward might be. So the first one I want to answer today is, why should we consider fasting? I want to remind you, the opening line of our text today is, Jesus said, when you fast, he makes this assumption that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something that you're going to do. Well, it's convenient because we get to finish Matthew chapter 6 today, and if you've been following us, we've been working our way through it slowly the whole of last year. And because of this uh, five days of prayer and fasting that's coming up, wanting to tackle it, it's, it's convenient. But I also feel perhaps you can sympathize with me this morning. Maybe you're a bit like me. Is that whenever a new year comes up, you might not be a New Year's resolutions person, but you've got some goals that you want to achieve, right? Can I tell you why? Because there were some things last year you just didn't like, whether it was the Christmas spread, whether it was the job that you are really frustrated in, whether it is something that you are needing to study or get better marks in for the year ahead, maybe uh, last year's report card wasn't so good, or maybe you need to save up for something. I'm telling you, we are people that ruminate and think about life, what we want to change and what we want to achieve. Now, we have these goals that we set for ourselves, and generally they are the strongest at the start of the year. But I want to maybe find out this morning if you sympathize with me. We tend to have so many goals for everything, but when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it is probably one of the least strategic things we think about. Not so? Can I just maybe be a bit like me? So I'll tell you what, I am training for a half marathon, and my medical aid has a certain rewards policy. I am addicted. I, I have, I've got to get my three runs in to get my 900 points once a week. I am so motivated by what I need to achieve 
There's certain things that I want to get right for my family and want to work on my character. And there's certain things in our, our finances. We want but when it comes to thinking practically and the nuts and bolts of my relationship with Jesus, I'm so blasé. And it's a bit like that picture of that black and white coloring in book. You know it's there. And you kind of know you have to attend to it, but it's not very inspiring. Not so. I'll tell you what is inspiring. I ran 18Ks the other day. I was flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah, you can get, that's what the response is like. You ran 18Ks. I know some of you have done like 42Ks. Well done. I'm getting faster. I'm getting fitter, hopefully more attractive to my wife. I'm feeling more energized in my work. This fitness thing has gripped me this year, and I'm going, you know what? This is great. I'm so inspired. But when we come to our relationship with Jesus, we have a black and white view. And part of the problem is, is we can't always measure how we're doing in Christ, right? You are following this unseen Savior who is real, but it's not like you can measure with your watch your distance that you ran or how fast you did it in or perhaps marks that you got at school or the money in your bank account. It's, it's sometimes not easily measurable and therefore can be rather at times uninspiring. And you know, something happened to me recently that really made me think about the spiritual walk. This run that I was preparing for since before sabbatical, <laughs> due to various circumstances, I couldn't do. And that was two weeks ago. A mate of mine said, I can't do it anymore. And so I've started to continue running. Do you know what happened to me yesterday? It was five o'clock in the morning. I get up there, I get on the road, and I start to run, and I go, what the heck am I doing? My wife is sleeping. My kids are sleeping. I'm up before my kids. Can you believe it? Who in their right mind honestly wants to do this? Suddenly I realize how thirsty I am. This is so boring. I'm running through Beacon Bay, which is not the most inspiring suburb. I live there, I know. And I suddenly thought to myself, you know what I've done? Is I have forgotten about the race. I've realized once the race was taken off my mind... This goal of what I'm involved in and aiming towards, it affected my whole training. And I sense the Lord when you say to us, we have the same spiritual danger here this morning. Do you know what one of the threats to your spiritual walk with Jesus is? It's boredom. It's boredom. And I felt like the Lord gave me this phrase for you this morning and for myself. If you forget the race, you disregard the training. And for the Christian, one of the greatest examples of what we are involved in, I hope you realize you are much bigger. You are involved in something much bigger than just your day-to-day -day experiences and, and, and emotions. And you are involved in a cosmic journey of a kingdom that is coming, and your life matters to it. That more than God just being the thing that stabilizes you in this life, he leads you, he guides you. Your stand for Jesus can even have cosmic consequences like Job. Job suffered. He was in this midst of, of losing his family and his friends and his health. Even his wife said, why don't you commit suicide? Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job didn't realize it, but as his faithfulness to God persisted, so God was using him even as an example to Satan of a man or a woman that is after his own heart. Friends, don't underestimate that God has a race set out for you. 
And when you realize that you realize like any runner does, you have to train. And there are some days you feel great. You crack the sub five, per kilo, five minutes per kilometer. That's my goal. Some days you stop at six Ks because you're so tired, but you do it because you realize you are involved in something much bigger than yourself. And praise God, you're going to see the race from start to end when Jesus comes again. And we have such a coach. I want to spur you on this morning. He is so invested in your training. He will not let one thing come into your life that is not good for you. And I'll tell you what maturity in the Christian life is. is learning to embrace God's goodness in his training, even when it's painful to do so. Nobody likes those hills. Goodness me, when you're running up and you think this is the most pointless exercise. But when you get to the top, you realize, I'm so grateful I did it. Because God moves you forward. And I want us to become a church. And as an eldership, we want us to become a church which are spurring. We are spurring one another's on into this race. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 says, Exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And we must realize that every Christian has a race marked out, and that's Hebrews 12, verse 2. And Paul says this, don't you know that in the race all the runners run? Ah, oh, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. It's there. And they say, you know, these runners, and I admire them. They spur me on. I see them in the morning. Everyone's doing, like Mark said, their, 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 more, their New Year's resolutions. They're running for a perishable wreath. Oh, but we are running for an imperishable one. So don't run aimlessly. And I want to ask you this year. How seriously do you take God when he says to you, I want to show you who I am. I have got things for you to do with me. That every part of your life is a part of this training. And one of the areas that I want you to flex your muscle in this year, SBC, is this area of special prayer called fasting. And I want to talk about that today. And I'm going to move fairly quickly. But I want to ask you, have you ever decided in your life to say, you know what, I am just pushing pause for a moment. And I am going to deliberately and specifically set aside something as fundamental as food and sometimes water for the sake of pursuing God in prayer. For that is what the definition of fasting is. It's abstaining from food or anything legitimate in and of itself. And, and where do we get that from? It, so it might not just be food. It's because if you are husband and wife here, there's a section in 1 Corinthians 7 where sometimes a husband and wife can decide to withhold physical intimacy, a legitimate pleasure, through mutual consent, husbands and wives, very important, for the sake of prayer. And sometimes it can be even water, not advisable for more than three days. I have never done a dry fast, you call it that. But the point of fasting is this is, it is this deliberate desire to seek God in prayer. And that's why fasting, it's very important. When it comes in the Bible here in Matthew chapter 6, it comes after the Lord's prayer. Is Jesus has just been speaking about this incredible joy of knowing God as Father and speaking to him. Ah, he says, but there are special times in your life. There are special moments where you say, Lord, I'm setting this all aside to pursue you in prayer. It's fasting. 
And what I want to say to you as well is it's really important that this fasting thing, and, and, and in our church, there is a risk of us not really preaching much of it, having a wrong view of it. And it's, that, that, it's this, that fasting can be seen sometimes as magic. It's not. Fasting never stands alone. It is never merely an act that we do on its own. It's a part of prayer. And I want to stress that this morning because if you've noticed health, as healthcare professionals, this thing of intermittent fasting is becoming really popular. Have you heard of that before? Diabetics is becoming a revolutionary way of treating blood glucose and losing weight. Anybody heard of that? It, it has a health benefit, but this is something that we're doing deliberately in prayer. Now, I want to say to this, and this is something that God says he takes for granted we are going to do. He says, when you fast, Matthew 6, verse 16, he assumes anybody who follows him from time to time will do this. And he assumes that fasting, his disciples know exactly what it is. It's been around for a long time. I don't have time to go through the history of fasting. Pagan religions have it. All the major religions have it. And, um, and it is something that has been historically around a long time. That's where we get the word breakfast from. We're breaking the fast. Even in our language, it's rooted in our, our culture, in our language. So what does the Bible say about this specific seeking after God? Well, there's a few things here. The first is this, and this is why we are doing it. It's on offer for you this week. Friday is our corporate day of fasting. We don't check in who does it and who does, because it's entirely voluntary. And it's done in response to two things. The first is, when you feel the Holy Spirit says, it's time to fast. It has only happened once in my life, I'll be honest. Some commentators were very open and said it happened more than once. It's not a very joyful moment for me <laughs> when it did happen. But when it did, and God can do it, he can say, I want you to set aside. And he is through your leadership saying this week, Friday, participate in a unified corporate fast and prayer with the Lord. It's God can do it through the, through the leadership of the Spirit. Where do I get that from? Do you know Moses was laid up Mount Sinai? He didn't eat or drink anything for 40 days. We're not asking that of you, luckily. Jesus led into the wilderness by the Spirit to fast. John the Baptist, who had a breakfast of locusts and honey this morning. Mm -hmm, delicious. Imagine getting a three-year-old to eat that. Leadership of the Spirit. Or what I want to point out to you today, and I sense this is also from the Lord for you, is some of you are struggling with certain things in your life. And I want to ask you, have you considered fasting in response to it? Because you see, fasting is meant to be a very natural thing for you and me. What do I mean by that? It is a common sense response to certain circumstances that we can face. And I want to point out to you today, the reason why I make that an emphasis is because we must never, ever, ever make fasting something that is mechanical. I don't have time to talk about why we don't talk much about fasting in our evangelical space here. But it was a reaction to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church turned fasting into something extreme. You would not stay for coffee after the service during the Reformation time. I don't know if they still did, because you had to fast before you took communion every Sunday. Is the Catholic Church had a sense of, of, of doing fasting for the sake of merit. It was a mechanical systematic approach, and that is not our response to God. Fasting is a human response 
to a spiritual call or a physical situational need. And here's a few. Maybe this will ring true for you today. The first is when you are in distress. Anybody ever been in distress and just didn't feel like eating? Hey? That is a good time to fast. Is somebody here in distress for some reason? I want to say to you one of the ways you are naturally invited to pour out your prayer before God is to forsake eating, whether it is this Friday for a day, you don't feel like it anyway, it fits the situation, and you pour out your distress to God. Psalm 42 verse 3 says, my tears have been my food day and night. Anybody here like that? Turn that into prayer, into fasting. Bereavement. How many of you ever felt like eating straight after hearing a loved one's diet? Can I say one of the natural ways to respond to God, to pour out your sorrow, not only for yourself, but for someone else who's in distress. Maybe they've lost multiple loved ones. Maybe it is some sort of disaster. Maybe your small group leader is going through some sort of terrible experience. And the response of a family of God, the response of a Christian brother and sister, is to share in that mourning by foregoing food whilst they minister and pray for and encourage those that are in deep distress. In solidarity. What about a time of confession? Can I say we are very clear in this church that forgiveness of sin and a right relationship with God is by grace. But there are times, ladies and gentlemen, when our sin has dire consequences. And David, he thought he got away with the murder of that man Uriah and sleeping with his wife Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was pregnant. And for a week, it was months David carried on his life as usual. And the Nathan, the prophet, comes to speak to him and says, David, you're out of line with God. And I don't know about you, but it's happened to me where you are cut to the heart by what you've done. And David fasts for seven days. He gets on his face before God. And Nathan says, this little boy of yours, this baby, he's going to die. And, and I, I, I'm amazed at David's distress who knows God as Father, who has this incredible relationship with God. He is so moved by the devastating consequences of his sin. He fasts and he weeps day and night before the Lord. He in repentance. And one of the most, can I just say to you, one of the most distressing scriptures is the fact that this baby is called home early. And I don't fully understand it because of David's sin. But the most encouraging scripture comes straight after that when David says, I'm going to go be with him. He can't come to me. And if you've lost a baby, if you've had a miscarriage, or if you wondered where your little baby's gone, I'm telling you now, that baby's with Jesus. But there was huge grief. Maybe somebody's in that state now. Have you expressed that in recognizing the impact of sin? And David recovers, as all of us must. But what about a time of emergency? Anybody here in a time of emergency? Maybe your business is starting to fail. Maybe your, your children's marriage is breaking up. Maybe there is some sort of national distress. I want to say South Africa needs some fasting and prayer. Not so? Friday, we're going to fast and pray for this country, and we're going to ask God to come and glorify his name in our midst. Our nation needs Jesus. And I want to tell you, the precedent of fasting and prayer has been powerful. There is Queen Esther. 
She, it is the first that I can remember case of ethnic cleansing in the Persian Empire. There is this horrible man, Haman. He hates the Jews. He says, guys, let's get together. Let's plot some plan. He gets the king to pass the law and says, we're going to slaughter these Jews. We're going to get rid of them. We're going to wipe them from the face of the earth. And when Esther finds out, she goes and she tells her people to fast and pray for three days. And God moves powerfully, powerfully for them as a nation. How about this? Sometimes we fast and pray in times of persecution and trouble. Is there anybody here today who perhaps is taking flack for just living out their love for Jesus, where they work and where they stay? Sometimes there can be great distress in standing for Christ. And it happened with David. He says, Psalm 69, verse 10, he says, When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. Or what about this? Maybe there's unanswered prayer. Anybody here who has been praying and praying and praying, and there has just been delay after delay? Anybody? Can I say to you today, have you considered turning that into fasting? I won't share who, but one of an eldership couple in our church had a massive impact on my life. Parents, this is a wonderful recourse for your children. Their child was going through a very difficult patch. And I remember sitting down and they said, we're going to fast and pray this week. And God has been faithful. Faithful. And so, a few more. Here we go. An answer prayer around work or salvation or breakthrough. Can I tell you a quick story in my own life? My wife and I were struggling to fall pregnant with our first child, Sarah. And someone, a friend of ours, found out, and she just quietly came to me one day, and she said, Matt, I want you to know I'm fasting for you, and I'm praying. You know, when I look at my little girl, Sarah, very soon after that, Marina fell pregnant. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for what she did for us as a family. Nobody knows who she is. No one will know. But on the day when we stand before Jesus, I am sure, particularly if it is for another person, one of the highest forms of love is when there is no self-benefit for you and you fast and you pray for somebody and they don't even really know. Although I would encourage you, there is a space to say, I'm standing with you. Standing with you. Maybe it's a time when you feel led to pray, like Ezra. You need a lot of wisdom. There's a big task ahead of you. Maybe you want to start a new business or choose who you're going to marry. There are things that you are life-changing, like Ezra and eight. Maybe you need to seek God energetically. Maybe this is what you, God is calling you to do this year, saying, come on, set some time aside this week. Seek me. Stir up passion to know me. You know, Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, revivalist in the Great Awakening, he looked like a scarecrow. He was so thin. I'm not advising that. But he would set aside. If God was speaking to him in the evening as he was reading his Bible, his wife knew. If he didn't come out of his study, she must just leave him. What about this? The appointing of elders. Sometimes you fast because there's just so busy in ministry you forget to eat. Or maybe some here might have a specific call on your life to fast and pray. John the Baptist fasted. Anna fasted. Amazing people that saw God's work move forward. And so, 
Where are you at the moment? Are any of these situations in your life that you need to trust God and say, God, I need you in this area to come through? This is your opportunity. And a few things. I want to run through the last few points much more briefly than what I've done here because I just sense that God is knocking on hearts. Is that when God gives you the opportunity through these spirit and circumstances, there are a couple of ways you can fast. One is, normally it's for 24 hours. No food. Or a legitimate pleasure you can forego. 2 Samuel chapter 1 says, until the sun sets. Or if it's very serious, you can do it for three days. Or you can do it lightly for three weeks, like Daniel's fast. Daniel chapter 10. Or... Only under the specific leadership of the Holy Spirit, you can do it for 40 days. But it is a miraculous fast. I only know one lady who has done it and survived. <laughs> Normally, you stop. But she did it clearly, and she tried it a second time on her own volition. She couldn't do it. But don't be surprised at how God might lead you to go deeper with him this year. How not to fast? Well, can I say, he says in verse 16, and when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. It says, truly, I say to you, they've received the reward in full. What does it mean? It says, well, first of all, you need to know that fasting is not for show. <laughs> I won't take my time here. But what these guys would do, these Pharisees, is they would get up in the morning and not wash. They would kind of let their beard grow all funny, and they would put ash on their heads and look a bit stinky and maybe tear their clothes. And they would go out into the streets. Oh, oh, oh. And someone would say, would you like a cream bun for tea? And I'd go, ooh, I'm fasting. I'm suffering. I'm so spiritual. Why does Jesus use these three things today? Can I say, how do we rate spirituality amongst us here? That person Wow, they give a lot of money to the church and to the poor. That's what we say. Wow, that person prays. Have you ever heard them pray in public? They must be so spiritual. Oh, that person fasts. They look like a scarecrow. Watch out for drain pipes because they might fall in. They're so thin. <laughs> Can I say to you today, people like that have received their reward in full. Oh, but for the one who will come this morning and say, this is an expression of my passion and hunger for God, for his audience, understanding that who cares? Because at the end of the day, my life is lived before this God who sees all and knows all and is enough for me. May we be a church that looks to God as the one who is our source of strength, our satisfaction, the one who's the leader of our lives and who is enough for us through the valley of the shadow of death as well as green pastures. My friend, fasting is saying to God, I am looking to no other. You alone are the Lord of my life, and I want you. I want you. I seek your face. And when you fast, it's often when God is hiding his face, and you're desperate to come before him because you don't want to settle for second best. No, I have seen today. I sense some of us here a little bit skeptical saying, is this for me? I want to say it's for you. Do you know Jesus, my friend? How much do you want to know him? Because through the cross, he invites the lowliest, most unknown, most insignificant person in the eyes of the world to enter into the presence of the living God. Does that matter to you? My friend, you might have the greatest job in the world. Do you know Jesus? 
Do you know what it's like to be in the presence of the King of Kings and to know you are living your life in satisfaction because you know you're in, your, in His will. You know you're under this great shepherd and He's got a life for you to live in Him. Ah, oh, friends, this is a glorious invitation to live for the audience of one. The question is, will we enter in? And I want to point out quickly, don't think fasting is going to be a substitute for not being right with God this morning. I just have to gently put it in there. What is the text that's right before the section I read to you is, if you will not forgive those that have hurt you, God will not forgive you. What does that mean? Is God will not minister the experience of forgiveness of sin and a clear conscience before God until you make right with the one that has grieved you. And I say to you today, how are we to fast it is to get up in the morning, to brush your teeth, comb your hair, put on that deodorant, put on that base and makeup, and you head out into the day with Jesus. And what is Jesus saying here? He's saying this, SPC, don't worry about the opinions of people around you. Fasting is self-forgetfulness. Do you know that? It's the joy of knowing this communion with God that only God sees. Hunger is glorious because it's intangible to anybody else except you. And I want to say to you this morning, it might mean that you have to have a busy job. And you have to set aside time. You might not have enough time to pray. Remember, praying is the most important thing with fasting. It's a normal day. But friends, we do it with a sense of being in the sight of God. Ah, I must move quickly. My last point is this. You're doing so well this morning. Is what does Jesus mean by reward? And if there's one thing I can stir in you, whenever a preacher sees that there is a promise to obedience, he gives it or she gives it all they've got because today I stand before you. I will stake my ministry on it. God will honor fasting and prayer that is done for him. He will. He will. Don't act as judge on what God should give you or shouldn't. The joy of this promise of reward is Jesus is saying, I guarantee you right now on my own authority, I will honor it. I will reward it. But the problem for us is this, is that Jesus does not specify what that reward is. And welcome into a relationship with the sovereign God. Where our response to his glory is to say, God, you choose to act in the way that you know best. And I want to say to you this morning, don't ever use fasting as a bargaining chip before God. It doesn't work. It is saying, God, I am seeking your face but I'm freeing up your hands to do what they need to do in response to my prayer. But I want you. Sometimes the greatest act of faith is surrender. And for you this morning, friends, I want to say to you, let God have a free hand on how he chooses to answer, but you come and bring the asking and desire and the need. For who knows what God will do 
in response to an earnest prayer offered up in fasting. Can I say to you today, would you let God keep his word to you this Friday? Who knows what God might do for us as a church, might do for your family, might do in your business, in your friendships, in your finances, in all these aspects of our lives. Who knows what God will do in answer to earnest, humble, passionate, devoted prayer and fasting? Artie Kendall, I think he's right. He says, often the blessing comes down the road in his experience. It doesn't happen immediately, but he has said he has watched how God has honored his scripture. It may lead to personal blessing. I think about Paul being struck on the road to Ananias. There he is. He is blind. He's fasting and praying three days, and God says, Ananias, and the greatest blessing of being filled with the Spirit and the opening of his eyes comes. I think of healing. I think of how many people in our church falling pregnant that we have personally seen. I've seen people get more of himself, of God himself. Oh, and I want to say to you, remember this, is that the answer might even come in eternity. Because the very next passage after this final passage on fasting, Matthew 6, is don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but lay up treasures in heaven. Can I say to you, on day five, I encourage you to read about the Hebrides revival. Marion, how many old, old, old ladies were praying for that revival? Two, two 80-year-olds praying for God to rend the heavens and come down, for God to revive them in their day. And let me tell you, 1956, I think it was, 1956, somewhere around there, the greatest outpouring on the Hebrides islands the greatest revival that we know of this century happened. Two old ladies, Marion's old words, two old ducks. And let me tell you, I will, I will stake my life on it. In heaven one day, many will be there and God will say, well done. And they'll say, for what? You prayed. Yes, I prayed there, but you didn't. I did. SBC, God works beyond your lifetime. He works beyond your years. Abraham was promised, and he said, you're going to inherit this land. He died before he saw it. And let me tell you, God was faithful to move forward his plans and purposes generation by generation by generation because of faithfulness to the Lord in prayer. I hope you feel inspired this morning. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the wonderful things, the amazing things that God has prepared for those who love him. I close with the scripture, so 2 Chronicles 7, verse 13 to 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What about being part of a South Africa that sees God move like never before? Reconciliation. Moves of God that restores the broken and the needy and the lost. In our day, who knows what God will do?